church and uh, Maddie's one of our pastors on the team and uh, I just love seeing people step out in faith and you know I, I honestly think God loves to prove his faithfulness to us like a good dad and so could I just encourage you you know if you've sown into Hartford House uh, you know don't just throw money away be believing be believing for a harvest Come on, be believing God for something. Okay, cool. Well, I've been sort of stuck in a theme in the last uh, little while since I got back from a break. Uh, funnily enough, uh, I had some series planned to do in this part of the year and we were gonna, I was going to do a People of Greatness series during Half of the House and, and we were going to do a hymn series on great old hymns of the church because they're full of really cool theology and uh, I had all this stuff planned but since I come back from a break I've just been really had fresh stuff in my own heart every week and I've just thought well why don't we just do that so we've been walking through the book of Mark and uh, and looking at that gospel account and those gospels what we call the gospels really are like biographies of Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, they're his story. And so uh, we've been going through this message after message and I want to go back there today. Um, but first, what I need, parents, parents, I need you to do something. I'm, I'm warning you, you need to do something. If you've got children here that go to school, you need to put your fingers in their ears right now. Just, that's it. I hated school. Just going to say, I, I, school and I just didn't get along. And this is a difficult thing because I know there are teachers everywhere in this place, okay? But, but I don't know what it was. I was either always, you know, late for class, uh, standing in the wrong hallway, talking to the wrong person, or literally waiting for class to start in the wrong classroom, or, or maybe sometimes, and it's true, often on the wrong side of a teacher. Uh, I just always seem to be out of place, out of step, in the wrong place. And for all of you teachers, yes, I am that kid. I was that kid. You've all got one in your class, I'm sure. Um, and I, I'm not sure, though, whether that actually... You know, we talk about school and you sort of question what you learn. It's like, like what, where am I going to use that later in life? Uh, but to tell you the truth, I think that actually set me up really well for life. Always feeling out of place and not sure whether you're in the right spot, the right time with the right people or whatever. Uh, I actually think that's a bit of a life thing. Come on, it migrates to look different ways, but who's ever felt like they're wearing the wrong clothes? With the wrong people, driving the wrong car, maybe living in the wrong neighbourhood. It's like, that is life. That's just how it sort of unfolds. The, the problem is, though, if we're not careful, uh, this whole comparison thing, when you look around and you see what other people are doing, you, you're thinking about what you'd like to be doing, if you're not careful, you become obsessed with what you're lacking. You begin to focus, and I think life tends to do this to us, we begin to focus more on what we aren't than what we are. More on what we don't have than what we, we do have. And, but I, I don't want to talk about possessions today. I want to actually talk about personal identity and how we see ourselves. Um, so 
you know, you've become very quiet. And I just want to reassure you that we're talking about the people not next door, not you. Uh, Mark chapter 8, there's a great story. Mark chapter 8. And uh, talking about Jesus, it says, Then the Pharisees, which were the religious leaders of their day, the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. Then verse 12 says, but he sighed deeply in his spirit. And I really want you to take notice of that because uh, there's a few moments in these gospel accounts where you really get a picture of the deeper emotions of Jesus. And this is one of them. He sighed deeply in his spirit. This, their approach to him had an effect on him. And he said, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And you know, what they wanted was a miracle, basically. They were looking for him to pull a rabbit out of the hat, in, in some sense, if you could put it that way. And yet, the way that it affected Jesus, the way that it reacted, you know, when you talk about your spirit, he sighed deeply in his spirit. It's basically saying, at the deepest part of him, he was troubled. He was affected by the pressure they were putting on him to somehow prove himself. That's what was going on here. You know, the fact is, Jesus had just fed 4,000 on the other side of the lake. These guys missed it, but they heard about it, I think. You know, without that being in the story, you know, whenever you have a great church service, someone always leaves early. And I reckon on the other side of the lake, while thousands were being fed from a few loaves and a few fish, a few people left, went to this side of the lake where these people were and said, you should see what's happening on the other side of the lake. And so Jesus arrives and these guys come out and say, hey, we want to see something special too. Something about their pressure and the need for him to prove himself actually hit at the core of what Jesus perceived the pain of humanity to truly be. He's moved in his spirit, literally groans in his spirit, sighs. It's like, oh, will you never get it? Here you are pressuring me with what is destroying you, with what is actually wrong with the human race. The pressure that we put on ourselves, the pressure that we then project onto others to somehow measure up, to prove yourself, to perform. And it's the root of so many ills. In humanity, And I think Jesus read it that way. He read it for what it was. As a matter of fact, it was just, a, it was just a, another form, a subtler, deeper form of what the devil said to him in Matthew chapter 4. If you're the son of God, you could jump off the top of this temple. Angels would bear you up. You could make bread from stones. And, and that was just after his baptism. If you remember his baptism story, Jesus comes to be baptised at the Jordan. 
Heaven opens and the Father speaks. You are my beloved son. The next story in the book is the temptation with the devil saying, if, questioning, if you're the son of God, perform and prove it. If you are who God says you are, then prove it to me. And I think our world says that. This, is, this has come on a subtle level, but this is the pattern of temptation for absolutely every one of us. A spiritual temptation comes first. And, and often, you know, when we talk spiritual, we're talking about our inner worlds, the very inside of our hearts, our lives, our thinking. And, and often that temptation comes in the form of critical or, or negative self-talk. Self-debasing self-talk. Oh, well, you're just such, you're such an idiot. Have you ever walked away from a conversation thinking, I'm such an idiot? You're such an idiot. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you said that. If they really knew who you were, and this voice that goes on sometimes is actually, often we write it off as just us. It's not just us. It's a spiritual attack against your very identity. And then interestingly, sometimes, that spiritual attack, the same way that Jesus faced it, is then reinforced by humanity. So it comes spiritually directly to our hearts and then sometimes it's people around us. Sometimes it's even well-meaning people around us question our capacity, our authenticity, our ability, our, and without maybe saying it in so many words, they're actually demanding a sign. They're actually pushing against who you, know, who you think that you need to be and questioning that. And so I think that we face this exact same uh, temptation in the exact same way. And if it's not people, if it's, you know, I say sometimes it's individuals, then it's always media. In a media marketing saturated society, it will always always underscore what you lack it's how we sell things to people and I mean at the end of the day you know there's great products out there and and sometimes we really need them but when that advertising strikes at the core of your worth your value your beauty then actually it's just reinforcing a far deeper spiritual attack on your actual life it's actually calling to question your value and it threatens to undermine your sense of personal security. And Jesus resisted it. The temptation to prove himself, he resisted it. The temptation to project a certain image that was expected of him, he refused to go there. If you look at it, he actually resisted the temptation to allow security to weasel its way into his heart. And if you think about it, that is a choice that every one of us is faced with regularly. Whether we're going to allow insecurity in or not. From the fella with the tall story that exaggerates and that's always got to be a bigger story than anyone else right through to the girl who wears too much makeup. That is the world we live in. Always calling into question our validity, our beauty, 
our value, our worth. So I want to speak to us today about cultivating personal security. Cultivating personal security. Because Jesus led the way. Jesus led the way. And he said a simple no. No sign will be given. No, not open for business today, boys. I'm not going down that route. But it actually said so much more. It said a couple of things. It said, I'm comfortable in my own skin. Jesus wasn't going to be pushed out by someone else's agenda to prove himself. Basically, Jesus could you know, put it this way. I know who I am. I'm happy with who I am. I don't need to prove it to you. I don't need to prove it to someone who doesn't care about me. I think Jesus ultimately, you know, when I think about the way he framed his whole world, I think Jesus recognised he only had one person to please. Unlike us, he could narrow it down to I've got one person to please and that's God. And everyone else can wait in line. And I, I just wonder whether that isn't the key for each and every one of us. Each and every one of us. To resolve to be comfortable in our own skin. Here's the definition of comfortable in your own skin. I love it. Um, Displaying a relaxed confidence in and clear understanding of oneself. Listen to that. Displaying a relaxed confidence in and clear understanding of oneself. Which, you know, obviously emotional intelligence comes into that. Self-awareness is is the pillar, the the cornerstone of emotional intelligence. But it actually goes beyond that. It's not just being aware of who you really are, it's actually being okay with who you really are. Warts and all, not just the good side, but all of you. And so I want to speak into this because, boy, oh boy, imagine if you could live like that all the time. You'd have more money. You'd probably have more friends. You'd have a happier marriage. I could just list, 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 list the benefits of living secure. And there's this very real human tragedy of insecurity. And I think you can trace it like every bad thing. You can trace it back to the fall. You can trace it right back to Genesis 3. And there's just two things I want to draw out of that story in Genesis 3. This is the fall of man. This is the temptation and the fall of man. And the first one is this, is that the insecurity that ended the human race came, it was shame-based. Remember, if you remember the story, Adam said, I was naked. When God said, what are you doing in the bushes, man? We normally walk in the cool of the evening. What are you doing hiding behind that lantana? That must be itchy. Now, when God said that to him, he said, I was naked and so I hid. There was this sense of shame on him. Um, And so insecurity is shame-based for a start. The second thing that you see is the first question God asked him after he said that, "What what, what are you doing? Well, I'm hiding because I was naked, God said, who told you that? And here's the interesting thing. In spite of there being sin involved, the shame didn't come from God. 
You know, we often go, well, you know, God's holy and, and I'm not, so there's the shame factor. No, 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 no. The shame didn't come from God. God wanted man to know very, very clearly where it came from. It didn't come from him. It came from a third entity. You know, a spiritual enemy that we all have. As I said, where that spiritual attack comes from. And then the quicker we understand that, the quicker we overcome the insecurities, the better off we will be, as I said. I mean, if you want to identify the tragedy of human insecurity, here it is. Every kid who's ever done something dumb to impress his mates. That's it. Every father who achieved success at the expense of missing their kids growing up. There it is. Every young lady that let a boy go way too far. There it is. Every teenager who accepted drugs because it seemed cool. There it is. Anyone who ever did anything because, quote unquote, everyone else was doing it. There it is. Every time you're tempted to say how busy you are to justify your self-worth. There it is. When you feel the need to say how early your day began or how late it finished. Sometimes there it is. When you're tempted to justify yourself. Oh, I only said that because... Uh, I only did that because... That's it. Insecurity. Interestingly, you know, Instagram, for those of you who are sort of keeping track with the, the whole social media technology thing, Instagram's just sort of been lauded, and, and well might they be, for removing your ability to see the amount of likes someone else has on their page. And, uh, and you know, I champion that, that's good. Here's the problem. Uh, we've actually now got a recognisable... We've got recognisable mental issues caused because people flip mentally when they think someone else, when they compare themselves and someone else's generally imaginary Instagram feed looks better than theirs, attracts more attention and it's like, man, it's great that they've removed that, that easy to compare trap but it doesn't actually fix the core issue. So it's great, I mean, for a big company to do that and we should applaud them trying to mitigate some of that risk, but it's not the answer. Man, if you're that insecurity that you flip mentally over that, you've got to find something to anchor your own heart on. Because that's going to affect all the rest of your life. Most of these things really are sort of an insecure response to the fact that we haven't accepted that we are accepted. We haven't accepted that. And, and I understand, you know, like things happen. Things happen in life. Things happen to little people. That should never happen. And it's a complex issue, this whole ability to see ourselves the way God sees us. But I, I really want to talk to us about that today. You contrast those things, that ugly list I just gave, with the personal security that Jesus displays in this passage. And, you know, the fact is it wasn't that he didn't want to do signs and wonders wasn't the fact that he didn't want to do miracles. I mean, miracles, the Bible says, actually testified of him. They pointed to the fact that here is the Son of God. He's the Saviour of the world. So it wasn't like he was against doing stuff. 
but he would never allow insecurity in himself to push him to perform for the crowd. That was the difference. And it's often the difference between him and us when our insecurities get us to perform for the crowd. So how how do we do it? Because you seem really quiet. You okay? You doing okay? How do we cultivate cultivate personal security Uh, here's some ways and the first one is exactly what Jesus did what we see in Jesus has got to work for us and that is security comes from accepting God's word again at Jesus baptism the heavens open and the father speaks and then that was right before all the temptations so you know before the world throws a whole mess at you it, it pays to know who you are and we have to actually agree with what the word says about me. And you might go, well, well, that's my problem. You know, I've always felt rejection. I've always felt like people were pushing me away. And as I said, you know, bad things happen to good people. Things happen that should not happen. They are realities. But there is a choice to be made. I can't offer you anything else than to offer you to rather than anchor your thinking about yourself on your rejected experiences or your own fears about yourself and how people perceive you and actually anchor them on a word that is higher. Not what social media says, not what the, uh, the, the, the general consensus of society says, not what someone who's trying to sell you something says, but actually a father in heaven who loves you if you could anchor your security on that instead. Uh, Paul the Apostle in Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, he says, um, talking about God, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. So we know God's in the adopting business. But this next verse is what I want to draw attention to. It says, this is how God felt about adopting you so if you've opened your heart in faith if you're walking in faith with Jesus today you are an adopted child of God and yet I love what this next passage reveals about God's motivation and God's heart towards that he says according to the good pleasure of his will you know and and I think it's easy for us to think this sometimes but you know God wasn't walking along and saw us broken and lost in our own sin and whatnot, and gone, there's a poor waif by the side of the road. And because I'm a big God with plenty of provision, I guess it behoves me to somehow throw them a lifeline. Ah, well, come on, no one else wants you, I'll adopt you. And sometimes we can feel that a little bit like, oh, should I even be here? Is my place really here? Does God really love me? And really what Paul is saying, it's like, you know, if you went to God on his day off and said, Lord, what would you like to do today? Like of everything you can do. I mean, you can do whatever you want. What would flick your switch? And he goes, I'd really like to adopt someone. And then you went to him next week and said, well, Lord, you you adopted a few million last week. I mean, uh, what would you like to do this day off? Uh, I think I'd like to adopt someone. 
I can't think. Basically, Paul is saying God can't think of anything he would rather do than bring you into relationship with him. Amen. Anchor your heart, anchor your security on the fact that he does love you, that he wasn't forced into reaching out to you. It was the good pleasure of his will. It made him happy. It made him smile on his day off to actually reach out to us. I love this. It goes on to say, to the praise of the glory of his grace, his unmerited favour by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And, and that's talking about this. That's talking about a community of faith. And, you know, I, I, I hate, when, if we get back to spiritual realities and temptations, I hate what the devil does to displace people from their place with the people of God. And it's just amazing how things happen in people's head. You know, Dan spoke about it, about, you know, hearing something other than what was really said or, you know, and if you've already got bruising and hurt and rejection and you look across the room and someone looks away just as you look at them, can I just encourage you, like, that rejection and the devil would love to push on that and make you feel rejected. The fact is, they just probably got distracted. They're having a squirrel moment. But you are actually accepted. But that's, that's why we say things like, would you help us to help you? To get connected? Don't just go, oh, no one knows about me. It's like, well, probably not in a big crowd. But, but you could come and talk and try and connect. Because you are accepted. And don't let the devil tell you. You're accepted by God and you're accepted by God's people. And yes, there's always some noongas in any crowd who will say some dumb things. I mean, at the end of the day, I say dumb things. But here's the thing. When you hear something dumb said, if your security runs deeper than your own feelings, it doesn't displace you. Because you go, nah, I know who I've believed. I know God loves me. I know it's according to the good pleasure of his will. I know I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm just not going to listen to the devil's lies, society's lies, any other lies. My eyes are focused on him. Personal security. Anchor it to a word from God. Believe, trust the word over your feelings. Here's the second thought. Security comes from a clean conscience. 1 John 3, 2. Uh, the John says, Beloved, if our heart, and some of the older versions actually say conscience there, if our heart or our conscience does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. In other words, if your conscience doesn't condemn you, you're okay with God. It's not about rules and regulations and did this and did I do this or did I do that. And you might go, well, I've got a checkered past. You just, you know, you just don't understand what's in my past. Uh, or you, if you really knew what was present in me. Well, you know what? Can I just say something to relax us all? If we all knew what was present in everyone in the room, we'd be shocked. It's not like God's surprised by our brokenness. But we try and hide it just the same, don't we? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, it says this, How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, listen to it, cleanse your conscience 
from dead works. And then he, he finishes with to serve the living God. In other wa- words, you know, you really can't move on from your past until you really accept the fact that you're forgiven. And if you can accept the fact that you genuinely are forgiven, he will even cleanse your conscience. The, the remembrance of dead works will no longer affect you. You might remember them, but they won't affect you and you won't be tempted to drag them into your future. You go on. You, you actually get to begin unravelling and, and unfolding the rest of your life. So security, cultivating security, comes from a clean conscience. And the last thought is security comes from a shift in focus. A shift in focus. Uh, the fact is, when I think about it, I was more secure when I was totally ignorant about life. I'm still pretty ignorant, but not as ignorant as I'd like to be, which sounds strange in our knowledge-focused society. But I want you to think back, like when you were a child, and hopefully you were allowed to have a childhood of some kind. Hopefully you were, because some aren't. But as a child, you know, you really don't care. You don't care if you've got green candles hanging out your nose when you sneeze. You don't care about that. You, You don't care about all kinds of stuff, as any parent of small children will realise. The world is just your oyster. It's just like as long as I'm fed and I'm happy and I get to see mum or dad, I'm, the world is good. But what happens to us when we grow up and we just become more conscious of things that are wrong and things that aren't the way they should be and even within ourselves I think back to just being a new Christian it was like man I'm saved Jesus touched my life I've turned a a page I'm no longer the person I used to be at 21 years of age it was just like a fresh start and it's all good and there's no guilt and shame and I'm just going to go out and change the world for Jesus but then time informed me of my true character. I began to become familiar with the good and evil that resided in me at the same time. Do you understand what I'm saying? I was better off ignorant. I was better off when I just thought there was just no issues anywhere. Just like in the garden. The knowledge of good and evil. Remember that? That was the temptation. Not good and evil was not the temptation. The knowledge, just the very knowledge was the temptation. It doesn't set you free. Like they thought, this will set us free. We'll be like God. The knowledge of good and evil doesn't set you free. It enslaves you to your own image or the image that you think you need to project. Interestingly, that Bible story starts with God creates Adam in his image. It sort of ends with Adam had a son in his own image. Started with the image of God in man. It ends with a broken image in man. So knowledge is not the answer. Knowledge doesn't particularly help us. Uh, Think of addiction. Anyone from pornography to drugs. If you went back and said, you know what? The way this has stuffed your life around, uh, if, if you could go back to before you knew the thrill of that stuff, would you? Back when you were ignorant. 
Didn't even know about it. I was just living my life. I didn't even know stuff like that existed. I think if you ask people like that, genuinely, they'd say, yeah, I would love to go back there. I'd love to go back to a place of not being aware. But that's the thing of man. We want to see. We want to know. We want to experience. And we think it'll set us free, but it enslaves us. And nothing has changed since the garden. Happens with finances. When you go from enjoying having enough to trusting riches, the next step is enslavement to riches. It's the same in relationships. When it goes from the thrill of connection to this person can meet my need, all of a sudden you either become someone who totally drains someone. You're like a heart sucker. You drain the life out of them or you just spend the rest of your life trying to please people. Those things, if we, we're just better off living innocent. Proliferation of knowledge hasn't really helped people. You think about it. Social media, just think about it. We laugh about this, but often the social media post, what is it? Look what I'm wearing. Look what I'm eating. That's a lot of it. Look what I'm wearing. Look what I'm eating. Listen to it. The very two things Jesus told us not to focus on and not to worry about are the very two things we seem to be focused on and wonder why with social media has come an epidemic of anxiety and depression. I think about the Facebook feed. It's all about the knowledge of good and evil. If you've noticed your Facebook, have a look at it. Go home, have a look at it. It might be the last time you want to look. It's all about the knowledge of good and evil. Even the faith-based stuff, when I look at it, faith-based stuff, it's rarely about who you are. It's generally about what good Christians should do, which is the knowledge of good and evil, as opposed to what I want to encourage us to focus on, which is the righteousness we've been given. What is the ultimate answer to the whole insecurity question? What you're focusing on and are you able to focus on what God wants you to focus on? This is why God warned them in the garden, stay away. You're far better off living unself-conscious according to a free conscience than the knowledge of good and evil. And this is why the cross, this is why righteousness through Jesus Christ Not consciousness of good and evil, but God wants us to make us conscious of what he has achieved for us. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, For he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us. He took all of our pain upon himself that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Not that we might have it, but that we might be it. You know, whenever you, you have to stop and think, I really need Jesus' righteousness right now. What does that mean? It means you haven't been walking in it. You can put it on, put it off, but God actually says that's what you are. That's the essence of your being now is righteous. Not something you put on, put off. You've been made the righteousness of God. In him, Colossians 3.3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, that old way of thinking, that old way of doing, that old way of living, including your insecurities about yourself, including worried about what the person next to you is thinking of you. Dead people don't think like that. 
Your life is hidden. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. That's it. That's what that verse means. He looks at you. He doesn't see you and your lack. He doesn't see you through the lens of social media or through the lens of social commentary or the lens of a big company trying to sell you something. He doesn't see you that way. He sees perfection. Our God's good at calling those things that be not as though they were. In other words, Jesus was enough. And you know what? If you've got faith in him, you're enough too. You're enough. That's what that verse is saying. You're enough. That should bring for us the big relax, the big breathe out. Man, I'm not performing. I'm not under tension to prove myself every waking minute of the day. So here's some questions I want to ask us really quickly. Are you tempted to exaggerate to gain approval? I ask that one purposely. It's a trick question. Because we all are. That's just a basic human insecurity. The temptation to inflate our own sense of value. What do you see when you look in the mirror? Do you actually see worth and value and beauty? Or do you see what lacks? Can you just point out everything that's lacking? Or do you actually see what's there? Where and when are you tempted to perform for the crowd? And most of us would know particular scenarios. It could be with family or with workmates or particular individuals. But all of a sudden, I feel the need to become a different person, to become the person they expect me to be. Are you motivated by vision for your future or driven by fear of what others think? You know, like to to be motivated to want to get ahead in life, that's a great thing. But the key is what's motivating it? What's motivating that? Is that that visionary like, oh man, I can see the future and I want to move toward it. I want to glorify God with my life. Or is it, I don't dare stop peddling because people are watching. It's a subtle shift, but man, Driven by human insecurity is never a good look. It never ends well. I'm going to ask the worship team if they'd come. Here's the last couple of questions. Are you determined to believe God's word over your own fears and over your own feelings? You know, I've tried to tell you what God says about you, but ultimately, I can't even pray for you to do that. That's a decision. You know, I could have an altar call and pray for people we've got a prayer team the prayer team are here to pray for people but ultimately I cannot impart security to you that's something we all have to do ourselves by actually trusting God's word over our fears and over our feelings can you accept that you're accepted in God's eyes can you accept that fact And finally, will you choose to make that enough? So I trust God's word above my feelings, above my fears, above sometimes the gnawing insecurity. I trust God's word and what it says about me more than anything else. I choose to believe I am accepted. If he says I'm accepted, I am accepted. But then you've got to close the door. And say, you know what? And it's enough. It's enough. I don't need someone else reinforcing it. 
on my social media feed. I don't need someone else reinforcing at work or in my family or I stand alone. In that sense, I am secure. And then all of the rest of life flows out of that. I'm encouraging us today, don't let fear drive you. Don't let feelings drive you in this area. It has never worked well for the human race. Never let the need to prove yourself, the need for approval, the need for acceptance, never let that drive you. Live from a position of acceptance. God has accepted me. I only have one to please. And if on the way I please you too, then that's awesome. But if on the way to pleasing him, I don't please you, well, then I'm prepared to let the cards fall where the cards have got to fall. And sort of that's living securely. Cultivating personal security. Can I pray for us today? Just really quickly, I'm way out of time. Why don't we stand together? Stand together. Father, I I thank you for every person here. And Father, I pray that you'd help us navigate this thing that we all have to deal with. Uh, It's in every one of us, this thing seeking to undermine and seeking to to drive us into places that aren't healthy for us to go. So Father, I I pray, help us. Come on, if that's your prayer, why why don't just reach out to God in your own way. God, help us. Help us to negotiate this. Help us to get this right. Help us to apply your word, embrace your word above our fears, our feelings and the opinions of others. Uh, Help us find our security squarely in you. In Jesus' name. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, maybe you're here today and you've never experienced the kind of acceptance I've talked about from God. He accepts you because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. He laid down his life so that you could take it up, so that you could live a different level of life, a sort of a Jesus kind of life. And maybe... Maybe you've heard about that, but you've never actually accepted it because as much as it's extended, it's still got to be accepted. That's what I'm talking about today. But if you've never done that, I want to give you the opportunity just to reach out to God yourself. In a few moments' time, we're going to pray a very simple prayer that's a prayer of commitment, dedication to Jesus Christ. And if you just feel like today, that's, that's my day. I've never done it before, but today's my day for that then I want to give you the opportunity. Why don't you respond just while every head's bowed? Why don't you respond by just raising a hand up to heaven, saying, that's me. You're showing God, you're showing me. You're saying yes to Jesus. I want you in my life. As I look around, I'm not going to prolong it, but just really quickly, if that's you, just raise your hand up and say, that's me. Yep, awesome. Awesome. Others in this place, just in this last moment, You know you need to do it. I'm not going to hang around, but just always want to give people the opportunity. So important. Amen. Fantastic. Okay, let's let's draw our attention to the screen. Let's pray together. And if you responded, whether I saw your hand or not, just make this your prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life and I'll follow you. And it's that simple to begin that journey with Jesus. Matt's going to come and let you know what to do next. Thanks, Matt. Let's thank Pastor.